we had a prisoner, she's passed away, her name is Louise Hill. And whenever Louise would read for Mass, anytime there was a word that she didn't know, uh, instead of it trying to, to, to fake it till she made it like I just did, she would do this. Um, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of mm-mm, and <laughs> I guess better, and nope. Uh, and I was like, Louise, you can't change the word of God. Like, just try. Uh, this is what we get for having the scriptures in the vernacular. You know, a, a number of years ago, uh, the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And then in the year 382, the, the Pope at that time, he commissioned St. Jerome to take the word of God, to take the, the Greek and the Hebrew, and then translate it into Latin, because Latin was the official language of people in their time. Latin was the most commonly used language, and so people would have been able to actually read the scriptures and understand the scriptures from most places in the world if it was written in Latin. So that's what he did. And whenever St. Jerome finished the Latin Vulgate of the Bible, uh, he finished around Advent season. So he decided to travel all the way to, to Bethlehem to the place where Jesus Christ was born, because he wanted to give Jesus a gift for Christmas. So often whenever we think about Christmas, we think about buying gifts for other people, we think about receiving gifts from other people, but Jerome had the right kind of mind. He wanted to reverence the actual birthday of Jesus by giving him a gift, and the gift that he was going to present to Jesus was the first edition of the Latin Vulgate of the Bible, the translation of all the Old Testament passages and all the New Testament passages into the Latin language. And so he made it to, to Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. He went to the cave where tradition has told us that Jesus Christ was actually born, and he, in prayer, presented the Bible to Jesus. As he sat in silence in prayer, he experienced a miracle. Jesus Christ appeared to him and an apparition. Now, apparitions happen all throughout the Bible. Angels appear in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Moses and Elijah, who had died many years before, or at least Moses died, Elijah was taken up into heaven. They appeared in apparition of Peter, James, and John. And now, here Jerome is, in this cave, in the fourth century, presenting a Bible to God in prayer, and Jesus appears to him. It was a miracle. It was beautiful. It was powerful. He said to him, Jesus, this is my my birthday gift for you. I traveled all the way to get here. It took me a very long time, but I did it for you. And Jesus looked at the gift and he, he looked at St. Jerome and he said, Jerome, I'm, I'm very grateful that you spent all this time translating the scriptures. It's gonna be very helpful, the body of Christ. But honestly, like, that's, that's not the birthday gift I was hoping you would give me this year. Now, Jerome was a man who struggled with the vice of, of wrath. And so he had a big tantrum, he screamed, he shouted, and he came back to Jesus who was waiting for him. He said, okay, Jesus, if you don't want the Bible for your birthday, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to fast more and I'm going to pray more and I'm going to sell everything I have and give it to the poor. And I'm going to live as a hermit in a cave, in a place where you were born. And Jesus said, that would, that would be great and that's really nice, but that's also not the gift I was, I was hoping that you would give to me this year for my birthday. So Jerome went off again, had a tantrum, and he came back a third time. I said, okay, Jesus, wh what do you want? What do you want for your birthday? 
Have we ever done that before? Have we ever asked Jesus, God, what do you want? Not presupposing what he would want, but asking him the question. That's what Jerome did. And Jesus said to him, Jerome, do you promise me that you would give it to me if I ask you what I really want? And he said, anything, Jesus. Whatever you want, I will give it to you. And Jesus said, there's one thing, Jerome, that I really want from you for my birthday this year. There's one thing that you've never given to me that I really want. And Jerome said, what is it, God? Whatever it is, I will do. And Jesus said to him, Jerome, give me your sins. Give me your sins. Quit holding on to your sins. Let them go and give me your sins. In today's gospel, John the Baptist came to preach a message of repentance. The way that we enter into repentance is by giving God our sins through the sacrament of reconciliation. Where we go before the throne of God to the minister of the priest, because remember Jesus Christ in the gospel said to the priest, to the apostles and their successors, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. The way that God forgives us is in and through the sacrament of reconciliation administered to us by the apostles and by their successors and those who participate in their priesthood, us, ordained priest bishops, the Holy Father, Pope. We go to the sacrament of reconciliation and we give God our sins. We apologize to God for, for hurting him. We say, I'm sorry, but... Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance, which comes from the Greek metanoia, means I'm going to, to turn away from that which leads me to sin, from that which keeps me from abiding in relationship with Jesus. Whenever we go to confession, we confess our sins, and then we recite the act of contrition. Oh, my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended you. And I detest all my sins because of your just punishments, but most of all because I have offended you, my God, who are all good and deserving of all of my love. I firmly resolve with the help of your grace. I can't do it on my own. With the help of your grace to do my penance, to avoid the near occasion of sin and to, to sin no more. The actual Latin text of the act of contrition doesn't even say to avoid the near occasion of sin. What it says is, I will flee from the near occasion of sin. I will run away from it. We must acknowledge we are weak. We are not strong. We don't have our stuff together. We cannot continue to place ourselves in the near occasion of sin. A near occasion of sin is a person, a place, and a thing that triggers us and precedes our falls into temptation. We all have them. They're not sins in and of themselves, but they're the trigger that always precedes that which leads us to fall away from Christ. Fall away. So what do we do? We run away. We avoid those near occasions. We discern what is my near occasion of sin. And what my near occasion of sin is, is not going to be your near occasion of sin. And what your near occasion of sin is, is not going to be mine. But once I have discerned the people and the places and the things that always precede my falls, I must begin to avoid them for a season, maybe even for a lifetime. That's what St. Mary of Egypt did. St. Mary of Egypt is one of our, our desert mothers in our church's history. She 
became a prostitute at the age of 13. And she began to live that lifestyle not because she was wounded, not because she was rejected by her family or friends or abandoned by people. She did it because she enjoyed the sins of lust. She liked the way it made her feel. It had nothing to do with a bad childhood or traumatic events. It was totally the fact that it was a sin that gave her pleasure, and she was prone to pleasure. And so from the time she was 13 years old until 17 years later, she gave into that vice. Not month after month, not week after week, but literally day after day for 17 years. And after 17 years of pursuing sin, a life of sin, a life of indulging herself with pleasure and this vice of lust, of using people and being used by people, she finally encountered Jesus, who saw her right there in her mortal sin. He saw her. He knew everything about her. He knew what she did. He knew what had been done to her. He knew her past. He knew her present. He even knew her future. And Jesus called her by name to be his spouse. He wanted her to be his. No matter what she had done, he said, I want you. Unconditional love. That's what she was looking for her whole life. She found it in God. But she also became very much aware after her intense encounter with God where she perceived and received his love and she said she was sorry for her sins. She also became very much aware that she couldn't stay in town anymore because there were too many triggers for her. There are too many people that when she saw them, she immediately began to lust. There are too many places that when she saw the place, it reminded her of the pleasure that she had in those spaces and she said, I can't be here anymore. I love Jesus and he loves me, but every time I go to that place, I'm drawn back to my old sins. Every time I'm, I'm around those people, I'm drawn back to my vices, my bad habits. And so she fled into the desert to avoid those people for a season, to avoid those places for a season, because they were her near occasion. So we must discover, what's my near occasion? Otherwise, we recite the act of contrition in vain. We cannot say, I will avoid the near occasion if we plan on going to confession and not actually, in fact, avoid the near occasion of sin, of falling away from the relationship that I was created for, God on earth and forever in heaven. What's my near occasion? There's, there's a guy um, who, his near occasion of sin, it was smoking cigarettes. Every time he smoked a cigarette, that is what always preceded his decision to engage in lust. So what did he begin to avoid? That's not a rhetorical question. What do y'all think he started to avoid? Smoking cigarettes. He gave up cigarettes, and guess what? He was no longer tempted the way he was before to engage in that particular vice. I was talking to my mom about this homily earlier today, about near occasions and everything, and, and she said, oh, you know, my, my near occasion of sin is, is watching the news, and particularly uh, politics. She said, every time I see politics, like, that just always precedes me getting so upset. And so when she turned the TV on, it was on politics. And I said, Mom, no. Turn to Hallmark, Mom, please. <laughs> don't. Don't do this, Mother. Don't sin. And she, she's so innocent. Y'all should meet her. She's really cute, my mama. Um, but we need to begin to really take serious an inventory on what precedes my fall into temptation. 
But this word repent doesn't just mean, you know, say I'm sorry and turn away from. The actual translation of the, the word repent includes do penance. Do penance for my sins. Do penance. When we go to confession, confess our sins, we recite the act of contrition, the priest gives us absolution, and then he gives us a penance to do. And sometimes we leave confession and we don't do our penance, right? Not because we did not want to, we just forget. We have a lot going on. You have finals this week. There's a lot of studying happening. There's a lot of things going on. You might see somebody in line, right? There's so much going on that sometimes we forget to do our penance. And so how do we live a lifestyle in such a way that we will not neglect showing God our love by doing the penances, by offering up satisfaction, by trying to make it right? St. Benedict of Nursia, another one of our great saints, the founder of Western monasticism, he encourages all of us to have a rule of life in which we have set times that we spend with God in prayer. If I have a set time of whenever I spend with God in prayer in the morning and another set time of when I spend time with God in the evening or at night, then if I go to confession during the day, I have ample opportunity to do my penance during the time that I already have set aside for prayer with Jesus. If we put school on our calendar and we prioritize going to our classes and we prioritize going to other events and socials and other gatherings, we should also all the more prioritize God on the calendar. And we can in a very easy way do this by looking at our calendar every week and putting down a set-aside time of prayer in the morning, in the evening, or at night so that we can always be available to offer up our penances to God for the sins that we've done against him and his church. And if we can persevere, if we can persevere in giving God our sins and the sacrament of reconciliation, apologizing to our Lord for hurting him, turning away from the near occasions that typically precede our fall into vice and bad habit, and offering up our penances and reparation for our sins, then we can and we will abide in communion with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if we abide in communion with God, Father, Son, and Spirit while we are on earth, then we open ourselves up to the greatest grace, which is to remain in communion with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, not only while we are on earth, but most importantly, forever in the kingdom of heaven.